Eu quero ser um testemunho Remove o Brilha a luz que é no mundo meu viver. Senhor, eu vejo o mundo triste, atribulado pela ação de Satanás. Please stand by. We'll be streaming live soon. Clamando no escuro, correndo e olhando para trás. E eu vejo de coração aberto para receber o pecador. Good morning. This is uh, Jonathan Dunn streaming live from Rick Bonfin Ministries, and we are in the book of Galatians, and we're in chapter 2. We've had a lot of fun going through it so far. It's a very, it's a very convicting book, okay? I mean, Paul just uh, gets right to it immediately. He doesn't waste any time, really. He just, you know, says straight out, Paul, an apostle from Jesus Christ. And then, why in the world are you Galatians doing this? <laughs> you know, I mean, just so as he goes through the process of sort of reestablishing his authority as an apostle, and then as Pastor Rick taught us yesterday, it was very important that that Paul would remind the Galatian churches that then in fact Peter and the other apostles actually validated him he's not a lone ranger and he even though he's not afraid of men you know no fear of man here and that's what a lot of this bible study today is about he he was not isolated from community he he did seek to be validated and to be a part of the community of the believers which is very important but that doesn't mean he has to agree with the community all the time okay so so let's look here in chapter 2 and verse 11, and we're going to go through verses 21. That's today's Bible study. Is Galatians chapter 2, verses 11 to 21. So go ahead and turn in your Bibles there to Galatians chapter 2, verses 11 through 21. And it's divided, this Bible study is divided into two sections. The first section is the conflict with Peter, which is verses 11 through 14. And then the second part of the Bible study is verses 15 to 21, where, P where Paul discusses the theological foundation of the problem. Okay? So let's read verses 11 through 14, and then we'll uh, do the comments there, and then we'll read verses 15 to 21 and do the comments there. Amen? So here we go. Galatians chapter 2, verse 11. But when Peter was come to Antioch, 
I withstood him to the face, because he was to be blamed. For before that certain men came from James, he did eat with the Gentiles. But when they were come, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing them which were of the circumcision. And the other Jews dissembled likewise with them, insomuch that Barnabas also was carried away with their dissimulation or hypocrisy. But when I saw that they walked not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel, I said unto Peter before them all, If you, being a Jew, live after the manner of Gentiles, and not as do the Jews, why do you compel the Gentiles to live as do the Jews? Okay? So, the scene here is very simple. Right? They're in Antioch, which is uh, uh, not the... Uh, not the Antioch in Galatia, it's the Antioch in Syria, which is sort of uh, where the first revival, or, or the first, um, uh, the Gentiles first began to believe, and, um, you know, the church took off and exploded, and, and it's in the book of Acts, amazing things began to happen, and missionaries were began to be sent out from Antioch, and this is Antioch in Syria. This is where... Um, the followers of Jesus first were called Christians, okay, in Antioch. So Peter goes up to Antioch, and Peter had been in Jerusalem. Now Jerusalem, the church in Jerusalem, was primarily made of Jews. So Peter had mostly spent his time around his Jewish friends who had come to believe in Jesus. So, theologically, he knew that salvation came by the cross, justification by faith. Theologically, he knew this. I mean, he had the experience in the house of Cornelius. He had the dream come uh, where God lowered the sheet and all the animals there that were unclean were there. And God said, take and eat. And, and the Lord had to do it three times. And then... And then you know, he ends up going to the house of Cornelius and and the Holy Spirit comes down and and Paul finally, I mean, Peter finally realizes God is no respecter of persons. Grace has come to the Gentiles as well as the Jews. So so Peter had had his experience already of realizing that the gospel was for the Gentiles as well. So it's not a question of whether or not Gentiles are allowed into the kingdom for Peter. But see, but see, Peter had been in his comfort zone in Jerusalem. Okay? He, he, he had been around uh, his Jewish friends who come to believe in Christ mostly. And they were able, for the most part, to sort of practice their uh, life as Jews. And, they, they, you know, they didn't run out and start eating a bunch of pigs. They, you know, they, they, they didn't just suddenly change all of their customs. And I mean, but so... Even though the Lord revealed that to him, Peter didn't just start acting like a Gentile all of a sudden. So he goes to Antioch, and then when he gets there, he says, Oh, well, the Lord has shown me that I don't have to be a Jew when I'm among all these Gentiles. I, I, can, I can interact with them. I can converse with them. I can eat with them. I can spend time with them. I can pray with them. This is wonderful. And so he begins to do that. But then some of the other Jews come up from Jerusalem behind him 
And we don't, we don't know exactly how long. We don't, but they arrive in Antioch some point after Peter. And then after they arrive, the social pressure begins to take place. Okay? Where the old customs were still being practiced by the Jews because that's just what they did. And so then in Antioch, you began to have these two groups that began to form, one with the Jews and one with the Gentiles. And Paul was there and saw this taking place and began to realize that this is going to completely destroy who we are in Christ if we allow this to take place. Okay, so, so Peter begins to confront Peter. Paul begins to confront Peter and say, we just can't do this to the Gentiles. We can't, we can't start acting this way. If we do, it will destroy us as the body of Christ. We end up dividing, dividing among ourselves, and we won't be ineffective in the kingdom. So, a couple, one, one quick note. There are some scholars who have presented the idea that Peter and Paul had an ongoing conflict, that they were at odds with each other all the time. Um, a, a lot of people don't ascribe to that idea, but if you run across that in, in studying and in looking on the internet or whatever, I, I would encourage you not to be bothered by that. In fact, um, Peter and all the other apostles validate Paul's ministry to the Gentiles in Jerusalem in Acts 15, right? The Council of Jerusalem, Jerusalem Council. And then Peter also validates Paul in one of his own letters. Okay, in, in 2 Peter 3, verses 15 and 16, Peter writes, Consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, is also our beloved brother Paul. Beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you. So he validates Paul, and also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things which are some things hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction, as they do also the rest of the Scriptures. So, so Peter really validates Paul here, and, and, and is saying, if, if you have a problem with Paul, it's not because Paul is writing things that are wrong, it's because it's you are untaught and unstable in your mind. <laughs> and you are twisting whatever Paul's saying, because you just don't want to... You just don't want to believe it. So it's really you're the problem and not Paul. So Peter strongly, strongly validates Paul. There's no reason for us to think that they had some sort of ongoing fight or anything like that. Um, they just had to work some things out like we all do, you know, like we all do. Um, so, but that's just a side note because, I, I you know, I, I try to put myself in the shoes of somebody at home just sort of doing some self-study. You run across something on the Internet and then you just, you know, you end up kind of running away on a rabbit trail. And I, I don't get caught up in that, okay? So what's the major points? Well, this is a strategic move by Paul, okay? Because Paul is trying to help the Galatian church to uh, stay away from this teaching about circumcision and about Jewish customs that would rob their freedom in Christ, okay? It, 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 will, it, it tries ideas that will enslave them. And weigh them down. And so what Paul does is he uses an example, a real life example of the most prominent leader in the church of that day, Peter. And so it, essentially the idea is, well, if it's gonna if 
if it could happen to Peter, then it can happen to any of us. So let's not, you know, overly condemn ourselves. Okay? Paul is not trying to pick on them and, and, and trying to say that they're the only ones who are struggling with this. No, he says, listen, Peter struggled with this too. So let me tell you a story about that. And it sort of, you know, helps to um, soothe over any hard feelings that these Galatian churches might have that Paul is picking on us, right? And Paul is just saying, listen, this is, this is something we, we're going to have to deal with in the church as believers. And, and so, so it's a strategic move by Paul to help the Galatians sort of realize that, that if it can happen to Peter, it's okay that you're struggling with this, but let's overcome it kind of thing, right? Um, and then Paul, um, Paul also is using this scenario to point out that the primary motivator in Peter was not a theological problem. It was fear-based. Okay? Peter's issue was not theological. It was based on fear. Fear of man. Social fear. That was really the problem with Peter there. And so he's helping the Galatians sort of relate to that and connect with that idea that, you know, actually the reason I, that we are considering this idea of circumcision is because the Jews are making us afraid that we might not be saved. Okay? So theologically, as we've, dis as we've already discussed, Peter already knew that God approved the Gentiles, right? With his dream in Cornelius' house and all that. Um, and this is... This, but, but it's social pressure that causes Peter to change his behavior. Social pressure. Um, now, this is a really important point for us as Christians because we have to learn how to deal as Christians with social pressures that would try to get us to move into behaviors that deny the cross, not theologically, but in our behavior. You can believe something with all your heart and then behave in a different way because you're giving in to social fear, to fear of man. You know what I love is uh, when you go to a game or you're watching a game on TV, right? Let's say, let's say you were watching the Super Bowl, you know, or... or uh, you're watching the Braves and they're in the World Series and, and it's a home game. And so everybody in the stadium has on a Braves jersey. And then you got the one guy who's got the other jersey, right? And he's saying, I'm going to cheer for my team and I don't care what anybody else thinks, right? You know, I love that guy. Because that guy is standing for his team. And he's not giving in. And you know he's getting heckled, right? You know that... You know that some people are saying some things and you know they'll probably get some peanuts thrown at the back of their head or whatever. <laughs> but they're saying, I'll take all the peanuts. I'll take all the heckling. I'm going to cheer for my team no matter what. You know? And I, and I love seeing those people in, in a sports game. If you're not a big sports person, maybe that analogy doesn't help you a lot, but most people could sort of relate to that in some way, right? And so that, and sometimes we have to be that person as a Christian, right? We just do. We have to be that person as a Christian. Now, what happened here, though, is that the, the social pressure with Peter came with 
came from with inside the church, not outside the church. And actually, that's where I have personally found in my life that Christians have the hardest time is giving in to social pressure from within the church, not from outside the church. Social pressures outside the church might be, you know, a, a believer who still has friends who like to drink and, 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 and do that sort of stuff, and so they're still having a hard time tearing away from that. And and that, and that that that's a struggle that that somebody who gets saved out of the world just has to has to overcome it, right? But actually, I think the more more dangerous pressure comes from within the church. Okay, what are some modern day examples within the church? Well, baptism. Some denominations make you afraid that if you don't do water baptism exactly like we say you have to do it, then you're not really saved. So they make you afraid that you're going to go to hell because you don't get baptized the way that they say you're supposed to. And so, so what they say is, well, why don't you just be sure? Just, just, just be sure that you're saved. So come and be baptized the way I say you need to be because that way you're, you're really sure. Like, you're probably saved now, but let's be sure that you're saved. <laughs> Have you ever heard that one? It's out there. And what it does is it creates fear in the believer doubting their salvation. Whew. That's dangerous stuff, y'all. Now, now I, I, would, I would say, and I don't, I don't want to go on a tangent here, but, but I would say maybe the preferred method of baptism is dunked post-salvation. Okay? And I grew up a Methodist, and I'm saying that. Now, that might be the preferred method. Okay, but I'm not going to stand here and tell you that if you don't do it that way, then you're not saved. I might as well just be telling you that that uh, you're also not saved unless you get circumcised. I might as well tell you the same thing. Because that's essentially what it amounts to. I'm, I would be creating fear that if you don't do baptism the way that I say you're supposed to do it, then you're not really saved. I'm putting on you a law. And people use baptism. Denominations use baptism as a law placed upon puts fear in the minds and in the hearts of the believers and that's it's fear based this is what peter was dealing with this is what paul is fighting against here it's not really a theological issue he's fighting against fear that's what's going to make the galatians turn to these uh judaizers oh the judaizers say this what if i'm not really saved come on oh yeah, the pastor says this. I, I better go get dunked again, right? You know? Well, tongues in the Pentecostal movement. I, I mean, I'm a tongue talker. I pray in tongues every day. I'm, I'm here just talking in tongues like a fool. Speaking and praying in tongues, asking God to, to you know, I'm, I'm praying in English before I know it. I'm just gone off in tongues, praying in tongues. But I tell you what, tongues has been used as... Uh, as something to really be harmful, right? You are uh, the real Christians, the real people, the, the ones that are really close to God, pray in tongues, right? The tongues in the Pentecostal movement. If you don't pray in tongues, then you, you, you don't really have Jesus. You got to pray in tongues. There's people in the church everywhere who are pushing that agenda. Now, I, I, I am like Paul where, man, I, I, 
I believe that everybody can, but I don't believe that you have to to be saved. I'm just, I can't tell you that. Thankfully, I don't decide who goes to hell and who goes to heaven. But, um, okay, so what are some other uh, unspoken dress code? You know, Christian vocabulary, right? Using the right words in church. You know, oh, I better learn the language so I don't look like a fool. All right? Missions experiences. Oh, you're not, I, you know, I'm. if you've had a missions experience, then you're really a good Christian. You know, if you haven't gone on the mission trip, then you are just you are just missing something in your faith. Now, I, be, I do believe that mission trips are something that 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 every Christian should consider. But I'm not going to stand here and tell you that that if you don't go on a mission trip, then you're less of a Christian. I mean, that 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 just draws a line and begins to put on you the idea that you're less of a Christian and that 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 those who go on trips or those who dress this way or or whatever, are better Christians. Any way that we would attempt to directly or indirectly present the idea that we are spiritually superior because of this behavior or that behavior. Okay? So it works its way into the church in many different ways. Now, that's not to say we should walk around being angry at the church, bitter, and criticizing the church. I simply want you to be aware that it's there and to be looking out for it. And to make up your mind that you're not going to give in to fear of man. You know, um, these behaviors push others to the outside. It destroys unity. That's what was happening with Peter and, and the Gentile believers in Antioch. Okay? We have a special understanding of what it means to be a Christian, right? So, not our theology that does this, but our actions. Uh, the desire to be in to look the part, to fit into the social network. Um, so we inadvertently hinder the grace of God in our own lives and in the lives of our church when we do these things. So I just want to encourage you to, uh, to be on the lookout for that. Do not give in to fear of man. Now, the Bible has a lot to say about the fear of man. Fear of man is not something that, that Paul, made, Paul made up. God was aware that this was something that the human... Race, anybody who tries to follow God, in the Old Testament, there's lots of verses about this. Look at Proverbs 29, 25. The fear of man brings a snare. But he who trusts in the Lord will be exalted. Hallelujah. What a great verse. Isaiah 51, 12. I, even I, am he who comforts you. Who are you that you are afraid of man who dies, and of the son of man who is made like grass? Who are you that you are afraid of man who dies? Woo. Well, that really makes you think, right? Is, is somebody using their charisma or their uh, overbearing personality to force you into a behavior that is crippling the grace of God in your life, making you think that you have to perform in some way to please them. Is that happening to you right now? You know, fear of man is just, it's a trap. That It says it there. 
Proverbs 29, 25. Why is it a trap? Well, fear of man brings us into a place to where we have to try to interpret what somebody else wants. So I'm trying to figure out what do I think they would want me to be, and then I try to be that and hope I'm right. And then what if I'm wrong, and then what if the person changes their mind? <laughs> then I've get, suddenly given them control over me, and I'm just going to change my behavior to whatever is going to make them happy with me about it. And so I can never win. It's a trap. It's a snare. You can never win with the fear of man. Man changes their mind all the time. I wake up one day, I want one thing. I wake up the next day, I want another. But he who trusts in the Lord will be exalted. Who are you that you are afraid of man who dies? It's somebody putting pressure on you with their overbearing personality. It's somebody manipulating you into thinking that you have to perform to their liking to be a good Christian, to be accepted, to be loved. Oh, God doesn't want that for you. There's freedom in Christ that Paul is trying to tell us that it's there for us to have it, just where we can lift our hands and say hallelujah and say, if you don't like that, then uh, as Pastor Rick says, go suck a lemon, right? I'm not here to make you like me. Now, we, can, we always have to remember to take the example of Paul that that we're not isolating ourselves from community, but we just we have to be a part of the body of Christ and stay connected. But man, we cannot dance on the strings of others as Christians and be used of God. We, it robs our freedom. It weighs us down. It destroys our peace. Makes us ineffective in the body of Christ. Prevents us from growing in the Lord and 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 really developing. And who we are as Christians. Psalm 27.1 The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? What a great verse there. I've got others. But I'm running out of time already. So fear of man is a thread throughout the Bible. Because God knows our weaknesses. God knows the temptation to capitulate to the crowd so that, so that we don't stand out, you know, as the ones who are, who are going against the grain. And God says, sometimes you're going to have to. Sometimes you're going to have to. Sometimes you will have to be the one that looks at the pastor and says, Pastor, I want to be a part of this church and I want to sign the membership papers, but I'm not doing it. If you're going to make me be baptized, I'm sorry, I can't do it. Woo. I already got baptized. I'm not doing it again just to make you happy. Sometimes you have to be that way. Not, not to be me, you know, but to stand firm in who you are in Christ. So, ask yourself, does your church have sort of these Things going on that unintentionally push people away. You know? Are you, are you, do I constantly seek to be around only believers who act and think like I do because it's comfortable? Ooh, 
Now that's, that's, that, was, that was what Peter was doing. What are some ways I could loosen up my social expectations on people to allow more freedom for people to be who they are and to come into the kingdom with, without making them feel like they have to adhere to what I prefer? They could be who they are, and we could be a body of believers that maybe dress differently or maybe don't have exactly... You know, everybody's in progress. Nobody's going to be exactly perfect. You know, the uh, salvation and sanctification is not a meat grinder where they all come out looking like the same sausage. You know? The Lord, the, we are individuals and the Lord is working on us. So there has to be an opportunity for people to be in progress. You know? Amen? So, that takes me to my time. I did not get to Galatians 2, 15-21. But, I think that uh, we got the theme, right? Fear of man. So, fear of man is a snare. Peter, Peter, he gave in. I mean, we can't be too hard on him. He was trying to work it out. We're trying to work it out too, right? Paul is trying to help the Galatian church work it out. So let's not be too hard on ourselves, but let's also decide that we want to be people who honor the Lord, who are seeking to please Him, who are not seeking to please man, who are not seeking to make this person happy and that person happy, but seeking to be a blessing to that person and that person. It's a different way of thinking. God called me to be a blessing, to live free in Christ, not trying to uh, make others happy, but to serve others. There's a big difference. May God use you today to be a blessing to somebody. May you find a way that you could pray for somebody. May you find a way today that you get outside of yourself and serve another person who is in need. To be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. And may I do the same in my life today. Let us be the hands and feet of Christ today. In Jesus' name. Have a great day. We'll see you tomorrow morning. By the way, uh, stay tuned because Pastor Rick is coming on next uh, with a wonderful teaching. Tomorrow morning at 9 o'clock we'll continue our study in Galatians with our dear friend Dr. Pamela Morrison. You do not want to miss this lady. She is anointed. You might just have, you might just fall out right there in your chair at home listening to her. So tune in tomorrow at 9 o'clock as we continue Galatians. Have a great day. See you soon. Yeah.